Hi, and welcome back to the Pursue Podcast. And uh, we're live from brand new studios, Kim. Yes, we are kind of like in the Batman scene yeah. where uh, Lucius takes Batman down to, to the basement and the Batmobile is right behind us. It, it feels a bit like it for the ones watching this on YouTube. Yeah, for the ones watching this on YouTube, we've, uh, we've moved locations and um, this is sort of a, a new start to the new season. And um, to get the new season started and to get everything going, we, we actually have a, a very cool guest on today's show. Um, you have a remarkable college experience. Craig Rogers from Liverpool, England, started his college career at Cloud Community College in Kansas before transferring to Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma. After college, he has played soccer in the U.S., Iceland, U.K., and in Norway, and probably some other places that I that I couldn't think of right now. But uh, Craig, it's it's an honor to have you on as a, a guest to kick off the season three of Pursue Podcast. Uh, welcome. Tusen hjärtlig tack. God morgon och bägge två. Går det med Oh wow, <laughs> that's okay. very good for all our for all our English listeners. I mean, we we might have to do this in in Norwegian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That is uh, phenomenal. Uh, you know that you even end up in Norway after you know your whole journey is is fantastic. That you also you know learning the language is is uh, fantastic, Craig. We'll, we'll, just like Stuart, our CEO, he's been in Norway for a long time, and he uh, he can understand everything Norwegian, and probably could start doing some of these meetings in 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 Norwegians that we do. But I guess for the out of courtesy to our, our listeners, Craig, uh, it's a shame you can't uh, use your Norwegian here today, but appreciate it. I feel it. like we might get through about five minutes and then we might start. <laughs> might be a really short start to season three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, maybe hard enough for people to understand the person from Liverpool, uh, but you're, you're, you're not, I guess, your dialect uh, has changed a little bit, or is that... Fair to say, after all the things you've, the places you've been? I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, when I first left, it was probably a little bit thicker, maybe a little bit more scouse. I was living in Liverpool just before I'd left um, for a short while. And then every time I come back, I feel like I slide back into a bit of scouse for a couple of weeks and then it evens itself out again when I have to talk to other people. So, uh, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's the language of the world now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, you were one of the early CSUSA students, actually, that went out. Um, we'll, we'll, of course, go into your your the start of your journey and how you met Stu. I mean, we mentioned him here, our CEO. He, he's from England as well, and it, it was him that kind of was your sports consultant back in the day. And this is a while ago. When, when did you get in touch with with with, with him, or how, or how did you even find us at that time? So at the time, I was playing with um, Vauxhall Motors here in Ellesmere Port, a very small club that maybe some English people have probably never heard of. Um, I was playing part-time. The, the first team were in the uh, I believe Conference North at the time, and then I was playing between the reserves and the under-18s. Uh, one of the players I was playing with had mentioned that he talked to a couple of people about going to the US. I think it might have been with a... Um, a different company but um, I'd thought about it and all the way through school I'd wanted to, to live abroad and to continue playing football 
Um, so I I was due to go to a university in Liverpool to start a course. I think it was like media and economics, kind of the, the standard three-year course after you go through high school. And the closer and closer I got to that, the more and more I thought, I, I really don't want to do this. I'm just kind of doing it because it's the expected next steps. This conversation happens with the US and I realized that this is a possibility. I start doing research. Uh, the day comes to, uh, to sign the papers to go to university in, uh, in Liverpool. I sit down, I look at the counselor across the table and I just have this feeling like, no, don't do it. So I said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. We've been through two or three months of, of the paperwork and setting everything going, but this isn't for me. So we, we kind of shook hands on that. So thank you very much. Walked out the room. And then the first thing that hit me was what the blank have I just done? <laughs> no way, the, to, two or three years that lead up to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you but no, to, that's it, when I got serious and I started to look around um, to see if it was possible to, to maybe talk to people or find a way. And we found, we found Stuart. Unbelievable! You found us back in the day. Couldn't have been. <laughs> maybe it was through a Google search and maybe landing going down on the fifth page or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, remember the early early websites we have where, where, uh, uh, you you were, you must be a good Google searcher to find us back then. But uh, <laughs> things have improved and we have an awesome site now. But um, but but these are decisions, right? That you, you know, you weren't ready to start in Liverpool. You you had that. You know, you wanted some something different, and and one thing leads to another. You meet up with someone, hit it off well with you. You know, probably did the the thing that we always do, like assessing your background and looking at academics, looking at your 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 football in this case, and and seeing hey, what's possible, and uh, and and then this start this process, which can be a long and winding road. This process and okay. yours. You know, with all the things you've done, I, I would say your whole life up to to this point has been like a long and winding road, with super filled with super exciting things. Um, but you you end up in in Kansas, right? Cloud County Community College, the four C's in Concordia, Kansas. So <laughs> the five C's, and uh, this is a two-year school, and so you get your associate's degree. So which means you. you you obviously need to find another place after cloud to complete your your bachelor's. But we'll talk about that when you end up going to you know to Oklahoma. But how how was it to you know you landed? And I'm fast forwarding a little bit. We don't have to go through the whole process because it's been s so long ago since you since you left. Um, but you you touched down in Kansas airport. You talk us through that experience because that is a quite interesting funny, <laughs> funny start. I would say. So, um, Stuart, to his credit, has worked with us for a couple of months and landed um, three offers for me to move to, to university. Uh, my path was going to start at the junior college level. Hadn't been an academy player, didn't have a huge network of football people to call upon. I was just a semi-pro player in the UK, really, with a, a bit of a, a dream, a little bit of ambition. Uh, two of those offers came from North Carolina. Now, at the time, I didn't know, but North Carolina is, it's a coastal uh, state. So you've got beaches, you've got 35 degrees, you've got all the good things that you see on TV and in the films about America. And I said no to both of those and said, no, we're going to Kansas. <laughs> now, I'd never seen The Wizard of Oz, and I wish I'd have seen that, because uh, that might have been a, a little inroad into what was coming. But I just said, no, this one feels right, so I'm going to go with this one. Uh, we signed the papers. 
the day comes to jump on the plane, so I jump on the plane. Uh, we fly over and we land in Kansas City Airport. So we touch down. And for those who haven't seen it or don't know, Kansas City is quite a, a young, modern city. It's a really good vibe there. It's, it's a lot of new build buildings and there's a brand new mall. And obviously uh, Kansas City at the time were growing. So it was a really, really vibrant place to be. Uh, we land in the airport and I'm walking around and I'm seeing all these guys in track suits and running shoes walking around the airport, kind of looking for a coach. And it slowly dawns on me that all these guys are looking for the same person that I'm looking for and he's not there and we don't know what to do. And suddenly it's like, are you, are you looking for uh, Steve Given? Are you looking for Cloud? Are you looking for this? And we're like, yeah, yeah. So we're walking up and down this airport. Can't find this guy at all. And eventually they turn up and start to round us up and load us into a bus. So as we're all loading up, we're looking around and there's, there's guys from Brazil, there's guys from Ireland, from Australia, from Venezuela, um, guy from Nepal who's living in the UK. So there's guys from all over the place. We're in this bus, we're all excited. We're driving through Kansas City thinking, oh, we've landed ourselves in this amazing university, middle of a, a vibrant city, and it's going to be the best time of our lives. We start to drive through the city and then we drive out the city. And the first thought is, okay, so we're not going to be in the middle, but we won't be too far away, maybe a, a bus or a taxi away. And we keep driving. And the more we keep driving, the less and less we get to see. Um, after maybe 30, 45 minutes, it's just cows and fields. So we're all starting to get a bit worried. We come up to another town, uh, slightly smaller, but still a, a nice nice size of a, a, a town, maybe a small city in uh, Wichita. And we think, okay, this is pretty good. We're not too far away from the, the big one, so we'll still be good. And we keep driving again. And we don't stop, we don't stop the gas or drink. We just keep going and the city gets smaller and smaller in the rear view mirror. And the cows start to appear again and the fields get a little bit more yellow. And we're driving and driving again for another hour or so maybe we come to a, another smaller town now this town's still got sort of the signs of life more than maybe 200 people living in it so we think okay fair enough this one will work and we stop we stop for gas we uh, gas in the van and then we keep driving again and this time as we drive out of the city there's no cows and we notice this because there's nothing else to look at. And we're thinking, okay, so are we ever going to stop? We drive for another hour, maybe. We take up a hill on the highway. We turn left into what looks like a field. There are two buildings on the right that look like um, almost bigger houses. On the left, there's a very small college building. The bus stops. The driver says, we're here. Now, at that point, everybody looks around. We're looking at each other like, what have we all done? <laughs> and of course, the first thought when you're, you're kind of on a farm in Kansas when you come from Liverpool is, uh, excuse my Norwegian, but what the uh, what the farm have we done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, this was in... What year was this again, Craig? 2011, exactly. um, I think. So, no, 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 um, 2009, this was. Yeah, so it's been a good... Uh, Good 12 years, uh, pretty much. Uh, it's around about this time, actually, 12 years ago. So, um, but uh, this brings me to the point. Then I, I, w I was just looking up uh, Cloud County Community College just to see it on Google Maps, and I would recommend doing so. And, and actually, and if you would have continued for another 15 minutes past uh, 
Cloud County Community College, you would have ended up in a little place called Norway. Nor <laughs> Norway, Kansas, yep. which is a small, small place about 20 minutes from where you studied. And I don't think you, you, you know that until I just told you that. Talking before the interview, yeah, it's brand new to me. I had no idea up until now, but honestly, it doesn't surprise me at all. Considering everything that's come and the way things have, have developed over the years, it wouldn't surprise me if you told me there was a Norway five minutes outside of Liverpool right now. So Yeah, but you, uh, I, I think you must have known in the back of your mind and that's why maybe you ended up in Norway. Yeah, uh, rumor says it that Norway, Kansas is the place to be. Uh, so <laughs> you missed out on that one. <laughs> but yeah, obviously... Uh, Craig, going from Liverpool and then ending up in a, a smaller area in, in Kansas at a smaller community college, how was that experience for you when you when you went off the bus and, and, and got the first few days um, at or in Concordia and in Kansas? How, how was the first few days there? So given, um, given the initial shock, um, I would say that extended to culture shock. Yeah. It's it's not something that I'd, I'd ever seen or experienced before. Um, I've been on holidays uh, earlier in life and seen kind of smaller, maybe fishing towns or something like that when you travel for a day, but I'd never um, I'd never kind of immersed myself in a community like that. And there was there was definitely an adjustment period. Um, I count myself very very lucky to have been with uh, three other English guys who were at the college, and then four Irish guys as well. We uh, coming from a very similar. A similar place and similar cultures we kind of stuck together at first and you know we were making jokes about being on a farm and being in this small place but at the same time kind of getting to know the people who were local to Concordia the other students and the other uh, players who'd moved there in the area uh, one of the coping mechanisms we had if there was any uh, kind of homesickness or you were missing family initially was the English and the Irish guys we would get together in one of the dorm rooms and there'd be maybe flags and posters on the walls of um, places we've been or places and people that we know. And we'd uh, we'd have tea and biscuits in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. So uh, <laughs> we were one of the pioneers to bring that to the Kansans. And that stuck with the, the, the community there, the, the, the tea and biscuits in the evenings? It's very interesting the reaction you get. At first, they think it's insane that we put milk in tea. So you kind of have to walk them down the path and say, okay, after you do milk, let me show you cookies and tea. I'm going to blow your mind. Just, just sit down and trust me on this one. And there's not one person that we've uh, we've introduced tea and biscuits to who said, no, you guys are crazy. It's like, no, I'm converted. This is this is the future. Uh, well, they put the cookies in milk there, right? So yeah. uh, why not put uh, milk in the tea and then have the b biscuits uh, on the side? But then again, they have bacon in cupcakes, so it's just... Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's really also, no stopping them. Bacon? Who doesn't like bacon in anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's bacon. So yeah. I, I totally get that. Well, you, You're talking about that, you, you know, from the, your part of it in Norway, they have a pulse, like the hot dog in a waffle. No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> that's so that's the main that's the main problem here obviously because i'm from Fredrikstad, which is a bit more mm -hmm. southeast in in norway and and everyone thinks that we have pulse in uh, or hot dog in waffle but that's completely wrong because that's in moss uh so Fredrikstad, we we don't have that but okay, it's so like uh, 25 minutes away 30 minutes away yeah okay 30. yeah, yeah. far okay. far away yeah, but yeah. but i think we've all had these experiences craig when we we get to a new place right and you you know, it's really 
I guess it, it's easier now to maybe they have a lot of these virtual tours and videos and you can see a lot on how, how it looks. The internet is kind of much better now than it was back when, especially when I took my decision on which school to attend, but also you, um, Craig. And But for me, it's never really... You, you will, of course, adapt to, to, to that, but it, it's for me more about the people you meet and how you are taken care of and treated and, and the community you're part of. And you, um, it might not have been the Kansas City vibrant uh, place, but it turned out to be two very good years for you in at Cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I really can't say enough or kind of frame it in the right words how much of a, a transformative experience both it was for me personally, but for the group of guys that were there. As I say, we were from all over the world. Um, Football-wise, we, we have very different ideas. Training sometimes could be, um, it could be lively. Everybody had opinions on how maybe the team should play or who should play. And um, there was, I wouldn't say disagreements to that point, but a lot of discussion, a lot of maybe, oh, we should do it like this, we should do it like that. Um, through pre-season, we, we'd grown together. We'd, we'd learned a bit more about each other. We'd began, begun to uh, develop an identity within the team and that of course was being um, enhanced a hundred times as uh, we do things together off the field as well. Um, two, two things come to mind um, that were kind of the transformative moments. One of those would be um, coming into, I think it was the second or third game that we played in the conference. We'd had an argument at half time because uh, we were losing the game and it was like, oh, you guys are doing this or it should be like this, it should be like that, whatever else. Um, one of the guys, uh, one of the Brazilian guys, Pedro, his name was, kind of stood up and said, look, we're all bringing these qualities, but we're not putting them together. Like, we need to focus on this. Um, the uh, Mark, who was the, the captain um, from Ireland at the time, he was like, no, no, you're exactly right. Like, we, we have all the, the skill in the world. There's something that Bernie had said, actually. Um, why aren't we putting this to good use? And we went out in the second half of the game. I think we'd scored three or four goals, turned the team over. And through the half, you could feel the energy in the team change. It was kind of like, well, these are my people. These are these are my family now. So I, I will fight for them. I will I will do everything I can to support them. And then that translated off the field as well. As I say, it might have been a little bit clicky to start with. The, the English and the Irish guys would do quite a lot together. But um, one of the nights in the dorms, the Brazilian guys and the Brazilian girls who were playing on the volleyball team there had their kind of music instruments out and they were playing music. And we kind of wandered over there. And one of the Irish guys was a guitar player. He was already in the room. And they started playing a song called Mashkinada. <clears throat> and as they were playing, we kind of wandered in. And then we were past kind of basic instruments, like maybe a tambourine or a bucket to bang a drum on. And two, three minutes go by, and you've got like half the entire soccer team playing Mashkinada, singing words that we don't know, we don't understand properly. But it's, it's just this transformative experience where we, we walk in the room as, as footballers who play together and we leave the room as a family. It was it was incredible. It really was. Yeah. Amazing to to get that uh, like the band of brothers feel. Uh, and not just on the soccer team, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the, the volleyball players. And of course, there's a lot of students on this campus. Say, yeah, you're still uh, a bit in the middle of nowhere in, in Kansas, but a lot of people come there for a purpose. They they want to play their sport. Some are just regular students. I mean, you're all studying. Uh, 
and of course the social part and to 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 grow and learn incredibly important and yeah, i think there's many moments from students that we've helped over the years that have been similar to that where it's a bit more yes i feel really at home now yep. part, part of it very important to to because you need to perf to perform on uh, on the fields right you need to be happy <laughs> outside of of, of of the soccer fields right and, and practice <coughs> and, and games and, and everything like that so amazing to 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 get in into the groove um but it w we'll fast forward a bit uh, craig because you we could talk all day about uh about cloud and, and everything that's happened there but uh, you know, you, you needed to progress from, from clouds. It's, it's a two-year school. You get your associate's degree. Uh, in the summers, you'd been you played some club football uh, or soccer in in the U.S., which a lot of our students do that to, to get a nice season outside of college. And, and also people, you know, scouts look at that, other coaches at other four-year schools look at that. And... I think because of your performances and having done that, you ended up getting the option to go to a, to an NCAA Division One school, which arguably is the is the highest level of, of American college sports. Um, and you, you ended up at Oral Roberts University in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, which is a very good place to continue playing at at a very high level uh, in, in college. H how was that? So I, I discovered the, the PDL um, the first summer that I was in the US, but I'd left it too late to, uh, to kind of explore those options. So I came home the first summer, but when I knew about it, I'd, I'd kind of done the research um, and decided this was something that I wanted to do. Um, aside from, from being in college and you know having these great experiences with people from all over the world, I went there to, to kind of push myself to the absolute limit. I went out with an open mind. I said, look, I'm just going to give this everything I've got and see where see where it takes me, to be honest. Uh, the PDL looked like a, a great opportunity for me to get more exposure, more than um, sort of five fans, a couple of chickens and a cow watching the games at Cloud. So um, I went to Springfield, Missouri, the second summer I was there. Um, and their, their coaching staff were from, um, they were from Peru. I think, and then the, the owners of the club being in the US were very well connected with colleges, obviously for the recruitment of players for the summer. So I had a couple of conversations with them and said, I'm, I'm in a junior college right now. Uh, my path leads kind of to an NAIA school, which with all respect, were they were top, I think top 10 in the nation at the time. And they were they were flying. They were a good team to go and watch. And you know, I, was, I was looking forward to playing for them, but inside of me, I said, well, I've come here to, to give it everything. I, I feel like I've only done this in in, um, in kind of rural Kansas at the moment so so let's push this uh, the PDL games were all over the country really the longest trips we took were, were north of the border to Canada we were we were in vans for kind of 15 16 hours which I wouldn't recommend to anyone <laughs> if you can avoid but um, sometimes necessary in the US and uh, I guess my performances that season had, had made an impact on the owner Chris um, he had said um, he would have a couple of conversations and then I took a phone call from Steve Hayes, who was the manager at um, ORU at the time. He said, come down for a visit, come and see what you think about it. We'll have a chat. Um, went down, trained with the guys, spoke to him. And then I guess from, from the first minute, it felt like the right place for me to go. So I was sold. And uh, from there, I did everything I had to do to, to make that happen. It is as, talk about the differences of, of 
course, a smaller two-year school to uh, not not a big Division One school because it's a private school. Typically, the private schools uh, are, are a bit smaller. Uh, so I think like four four or five thousand students, kind of similar to actually the school I went to, uh, but uh, much more resources here and you know more more. Um, spectators uh more support around it um, probably better and bigger facilities yeah well. absolutely yeah. um the <clears throat> i think the school was around six or seven thousand so we we've gone about maybe 10 or 15 times bigger but definitely the the funding for division one sports is insane uh just to i guess to put it in perspective from cloud we had a, a gym in the school we had the the, the soccer field and then a running track to train on. I went to ORU, we had an indoor facility that we could train in all weathers. We had two gyms, one just for the uh, athletic teams and then one on the campus, which is pretty big as well. Um, we had access to uh, nutrition, to uh, training plans, to um, personal trainers. We had basically the professional environment. I remember walking kind of through the door, it was a little bit late for the, the first season I'd gone in but all these things were just there and you were taken to a meeting and like, this is the guy to talk to if you want to go in the gym, this is the guy to talk to if you need to fix your diet. And suddenly all these things were at my fingertips and I, I felt like I felt like I died and gone to heaven, to be honest. I was, I was given everything that I'd needed and I was given a three-year window to utilize, basically, as I say, a, a professional environment and professional people to uh, to really elevate myself. It, it is important to think then back to, you know, you, you weren't probably at the soccer level needed to come in straight away to school like Oral Roberts. Uh, so you, you obviously developed and you did well over the two years in Kansas and also in the in the summer playing the PDL. Um, and then this, you know, you earned, you really earned the right to, to get a scholarship and, and then come and compete um, in, in this environment. Uh, I think that's the theme going you know, throughout your whole journey, even after college, that you, you just like to go for things, uh, Craig. You, you set your eyes on something and, uh, you know, you turn down Liverpool University uh, and you, you you turn down the other school in, in Kansas that you could have gone to because you, you wanted something, something more, something different. Yeah, um, I think... I guess speaking a little bit more broadly and maybe a little bit more profoundly, it's it's the approach to life that I I love. To be honest, I, I really do get a, a thrill and a, a sense of achievement if I, I pick something that might be a little bit out of reach or that you might you might set your targets and people around you say, oh, you you're really you know reaching for something. You're you're, you're setting your sights too high. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should go for something a bit more achievable. But it's never been a it's never been a consideration for me. Every now and then I'll I'll see something, um, I get the feeling like I'd really like to do that, or I I want to really test myself and push myself, and that's it. The decision's made at that point. Um, with uh, with Oral Roberts, the the period of moving into the university uh, did have a little bit of an issue making financials work at first. Thankfully to them, um, they were they were helpful with scholarships and things to make it work. For the first two weeks of um, pre-season and then the first week, I think, of classes, I wasn't registered, so I wasn't able to go to class or to train because the paperwork wasn't done. So that kind of set me back a little bit. Um, looking back in time, that was a blessing in disguise. 
the, uh, the first year at RU physically for me was very transformative. I was able to do a lot of gym work, a lot of fitness work, and I could get my body into the best shape it had ever been. Um, I've done that over the course of maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. And uh, for those who don't know, there's a redshirt system in the US college um, soccer system so that you can sit out a year maybe if, if there are things that you need to take care of or things that you need to do to focus on on the other side of things than athletics. So I, I went to a game that was away at East Illinois. Um, we'd, we'd lost a couple of games, I think, in that season. And uh, we'd had a couple of conversations and I was desperate to play. Hadn't considered kind of the long-term implications. I, I just wanted to get on the field to play. Um, I went down, uh, sat on the bench for that game. We got to half time. I think we were losing 1 0. The performance wasn't that great. The coach said to me, Warm up, you're going to go on. So I spent half time warming up. And in my head, I was like, Right, here we go. This is this is what you've been grinding. This is what you've been struggling for. Here's your moment. Um, the team came out, the same team went out to, to start the game. And he pulled me aside the first five minutes of the second half and just said, Look, we've, I've thought about it. I, I don't feel this is the right thing for you. We're halfway through a season. We want to redshirt you, but we want to give you two full years where you can have a, a proper go at this. So I basically refused that right and said, no, look, we need to win the game. I, I want to play. And um, credit to Steve, he, he basically said to me, look, you'll thank me for this. Just just relax, settle down, and we'll take it from here. So I, I kind of backed down at that point, sat on the bench, had a, a bit of a red miss going on. But, um, but no, Steve was, was absolutely right in the moment. And I, I, I do have to thank him for, for giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think we can explain the red shirting because obviously the, the rules in the college system is that you you are allowed to play college soccer for four years. That's what you, you're allowed to do. Uh, but this red shirt system, and this is used on, on different occasions, you might have a medical red shirt, meaning let's say you get injured and you can't really play hardly any games or competitions in, in a season, you can get, you don't use up one of your years. So you can then actually spend five years at the school. And then, um, and then you had the red shirt that you were just offered is more, you know, there were some problems with you getting into preseason training. You got in late, you know, you weren't, you know, you could have probably started playing in that game and maybe contributed in some of the other games, uh, but half the season had gone and they didn't want to kind of, s not waste, I would say, but they didn't want to uh, use you for just half a season when the option was that, hey, we can, you can still train and you, but you won't play any games for the remainder of the season, but you will then have the two full seasons after that uh, with scholarship and to, to help the team. And I can understand that you know, about to go on <laughs> in a game and want to help your teammates and try and turn this game around and then get their message, actually, I think we're not going to play at all this season. But you say blessing in disguise because you you got better as, as a result. Was that, was that the end result there or was it more that you, you actually got to spend more time at Oral Roberts with, with and learn new things? It did lead to uh, an extra year, which, um, <clears throat> as I say, blessed in disguise is the, uh, the probably the correct term to use, considering it's a very Christian school. But um, my my time from Oral Roberts kind of started on that day. Kind of we we took the the bus back from Illinois, and it's probably a seven or eight hour journey. And I'd, I'd calmed down from kind of the, the emotion of the game and not having played, and then began to accept that okay. 
now I've got all this time um, until the next season. And then to, to flip that on its head and go, okay, well, actually, I've got all this time with all these resources around me to make myself into the best version of myself in, in terms of a soccer player, to get ahead on the, the college side of things so I wouldn't be struggling while we were traveling, and to put myself in the, the best possible position to, uh, to be successful. And that's, that's kind of what I trained my mind on from that point. Um, the, the indoor facility that we had was open until around one in the morning. So I'd make sure every night that was possible, probably four or five times a week. Um, plus the weekends, I'd get out there with any guys who'd want to go, be playing 2v2 games. I'd just go out with a bag of balls myself, take free kicks, um, do shooting, just do anything that I could to, to improve myself, kind of the extra 1% on that day. And just do that consistently. Um, it's it's something that in football helped me a lot. Of course, in the, the college side, it definitely helps if you're, you're using your time to, to kind of prepare yourself best for classes or for maybe a test or something that's coming up. And in a, a broad sense of speaking, I think that's true of, of life all in all. Like if you, if you do set your mind on something and you do something every day actively, both mentally, physically, or, or anything that you can do to kind of push yourself on that extra 1%, then eventually you get there. If you're going to push and push and fight for an opportunity, it will present itself at some point. You just you have to put yourself in the best position to, to walk through the door when it opens. Yeah. We'll talk uh, about an amazing free kick, uh, which might uh, be a result of you spending all that time in that indoor uh, facility uh, going at it. All right. Um, you did eventually get to play some uh, some official games at, at Oral Roberts. You had uh, two great years with that. Uh, but you also, you were studying here. We haven't really talked about that. And you, in Kansas, you know, the first two years and you did your associate's degree, uh, you, do, you did a lot of more like the general uh, science or gen, gen ed classes, they typically call it. You, you, obviously, it's a bit more broad than probably what the, the degree you, you would have gotten at, at Liverpool University would have been, because uh, then it's kind of straight into the specialization of what you what, what, what you want to study. But in the US, it's obviously a bit more broad, and you, you, you've done a lot of those classes. So at Oral Roberts, it was psychology and pursuing that bachelor's degree. Uh, why, why did you choose that? Um... To, to speak completely honestly for the, the psychology choice, it's something that I'd done in sixth form in the UK, which is kind of the two years before university. Um, I'd really enjoyed it, wanted to continue studying psychology. The people and human behavior have always fascinated me on a, an academic level. So it's always interesting to, to learn more about kind of theories and, and the, way, the way people perceive behavior and things like that. But um, I'd been through kind of kind of some interesting times in my personal life and um, particularly in family life. And psychology was honestly a way for me to kind of work some of those things out. Um, it's one of the main um, motivations that I had to continue through. But um, but yeah, it's, it's given certainly a lot of life skills that I've taken from that. Um, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed studying the subject itself and met probably the head of the department there. Oh, you might be the smartest guy I've ever met in my life. This is a guy who obviously a, a very Christian school, knows the Bible word for word back to front, knows the textbooks that he teaches back to front and can pull up kind of anything. He's almost like a human Google for psychology. That was fascinating to uh, to learn from. Uh, I, I remember, um, you know, 
I was a communications major, ended up with a journalist degree, but I also, you had some of those electives where there was a really good uh, professor that had his own clinic in, in Hollywood. Uh, and he, uh, he, he was from the area and he came and, you know, wor word on the street, you know, we had a couple of friends that had taken one of his classes the last semester and he just said, it's mind blowing. You should really try and fit that into your schedule. And obviously when I was setting up my schedule then for the next semester, I made sure that I had time to, to do the sports psychology class with uh, Dr. Samuel Smidiman. Um, and I took that and I also did his abnormal psychology class. So even though, you know, abnormal psychology versus a communications journalism degree, <laughs> quite different topics, but, you know, I could fit that into my, my course load. And it really was phenomenal to get that input. Uh, and also fr from a professor like that, uh, that had <laughs> great lectures and made it a lot of fun. And he, he would always say that, um, Sorry, but if my phone uh, calls during the lesson, I'll, I might have to take it because he was still <laughs> having some patients from Hollywood scene and he had <laughs> kind of big names. So there was a couple of times where phone rang and he's like, "Sorry, I'll have to take that," and yeah. he went outside. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no psychology, and you can use it for so many things. Uh, and. and but you, you talk about the element of, of Oral Roberts being a, a, a Christian school. What, what does that entail? Um. So Oral Roberts was uh, evangelical. Um, evangelism is, a, a, I guess, a branch of Christianity whereby uh, they're very open and welcoming to people, but they, they like to, um, to use, I guess, Christianity and the Bible as kind of a way of life that they see could maybe influence other people's ways of life. Um, I didn't find it that intrusive. I'm not trying to, to, to put it in those terms, but it was very much, this is how we do things. And we, we like people either to conform or to at least take a, an interest and in an understanding of what we do. Um, I got to learn a lot about um, kind of chapel services, about um, guys doing things like devotionals. They tell a story about how they found God. Um, the coaching staff there at ORU that came in while I was there were, were very active on that, but never pushy. They, they would open conversations a lot to see where I was at with faith and things like that. Um, but it became, sometimes it became a bit of a, a sparring match and it's uh, in jest more than anything else. I would, I would say, yeah, I'm open and that kind of thing, but I'm, I'm not really that much of a religious person. Um, I didn't have any religious experiences or anything like that, so that's not changed till now. But having seen um, what that community can offer for people who are believers and um, how close they are together and how supportive they are of each other, I think it's a, it's definitely a good thing for those who follow. Yeah, oh, it's uh, different uh, coming from England. I mean, you, you're kind of a religious uh, Liverpool fan and you <laughs> talking about miracles that they did with the league not too long ago. But uh, just kidding with you, Craig, there. Uh, <laughs> I had to get that in at some point. Uh, but, you know, coming, you know, Jules, he was in northeast in Boston area and then in, in up in New Hampshire, completely different than the south and, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma. You know, it's more a bit more in the middle. It's it's about a sh people should look that up on the map. But it's maybe ten hours to down to Houston in Texas, which is on the you know on the Mexico Gulf, and 
but it's quite in the middle, uh, and it's still part of the south. And you know, there is much more faith and religion. Uh, it's much stronger there than say in, in let's say in the UK, uh, and also yeah. in Scandinavia, where, where a lot of our students come from. But uh, was it too much of a difference? In was this a strange thing for you, or was it? Did you find this to be like a nice thing to experience? Um, it certainly brought interest in debate um, in terms of uh, the way people would live life or the, the rules and things that they would do. Um, going to ORU, we were, we were, uh, we had to be in chapel twice a week. We had to scan in with our student cards to show that we were there. Uh, if I'm 100% honest on that, sometimes people would scan and find the back door or a fire exit. So why <laughs> not everyone? Apologies for the the admissions if anyone's listening at ORU. Um, the dorms that we were living in were all male and all female. Uh, we had, there was a, a set day in the month where you could have maybe three or four hours of open dorms where um, girls could come to the guys, guys could come to the girls. You could only be, as I say, in there for three, three or four hours, I think it was open to. You had RAs walking up and down the halls all the time. Uh, the rule that they said was four feet on the floor at all times. As far as I know, that was followed, but as I say, I can only speak for myself in that uh, in that arena. But um, but yeah, it was it was very much rigid in how they set kind of life out. But as um, as students, there wasn't too much of a problem with it really. As I say, for for me personally, I was there to to get my degree, um, to to play the highest level of soccer that I could, and then explore options that would come after that. So so that was my focus really. I think the you know they're talking about the chapel service, and we have students that have gone to schools that that have this requirement, and it's it's a lot of inspirational speakers, and you can learn a lot in those sessions. Uh, some might feel it's a bit too much to because it's kind of like an extra class in a way where you have to have have to attend, but like just like you're attending your psych abnormal psych class with attendance, and you scan in, you do the mm -hmm. same thing with. with this chapel service uh, with, with a guest speaker maybe or, or some some activity for everybody involved uh, but I, I think also it creates community you know you get people together and you know there, there's people some people of all faiths there uh, I would think because a lot of the internationals maybe are don't go to Oral Roberts because of this element but many a lot of, a lot of them from from the US might might be a very important reason for them to Mm -hmm. go to that school in particular so uh and i think it's important to also for internationals traveling over to the u.s um it's important to understand that it's not going to be exactly the same as it was back in liverpool or back in oslo or back in copenhagen or back in stockholm it is going to be different and you're going to experience uh different cultures different religions different ways of religions uh and i think that's important as well to understand that because Obviously now, after you've graduated, uh, Craig, um, from that school, you've learned so much more about the, the Bible and under understanding of their religion uh, than you would uh, if you hadn't gone there. So there's always positives to take from, from experiences like that. And, and for myself, I, I actually, I'm not religious at all and didn't go to a religious school, but I read the Bible uh, to understand what all the sort of the hype was all about for the last yeah. 2,000 years. But I think it's important to, to get 
that perspective also because um, it is a big part of the U.S. and it's a, a big part of sort of understanding how they conduct themselves and what they do and what they believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, again, a, a general rule for life, all the people that you meet and are able to, to have good uh, conversations with, them, especially lengthy conversations with, there's always something to take. Someone will always give you something that you haven't experienced or that maybe you've not seen before. And you never know where those conversations might might lead you or might open you up. Um, as I say, a, a conversation with a, an owner of a PDL team turned into three years of a Division One school and was quite a, an important step along the path for me. Um, the, the religious side of things maybe hasn't changed things in my life. As I'm, I'm not a religious person at the moment, but there's definitely some things that you can take and apply to your life. Um, the, the charity and the volunteering side of things was something that I absolutely loved to do. Um, there was one of the managers of the team was, um, he was working with, I forget the, the countries that they come from, but some refugees that were living in the US and the, the kids of the community would come and play on, um, on our, our pitch every week, kind of on a Sunday. And I'd, I'd always get involved in that, maybe do a little bit of coaching or just, just play with the guys, to be honest. And say every session that I did that, every opportunity I got to do that, I absolutely loved it. Never regretted it and always had a laugh, always had a good time. So it's something that I've, I've taken forward at, at Bergsoy as well. We had, um, I forget the name of it now, but again, a, a small refugee um, community there in the town. And we did the same thing once a week, maybe twice a week sometimes they would come and we'd just play football and have a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful thing. Yeah. All sports. Connects people, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And then we, we, we typically ask, uh, you know, oh, that cap and gown moment, graduation. Uh, <laughs> you, you didn't really have time for your graduation at, at Oral Roberts because um, you uh, <laughs> you were on the plane to, to, to Seattle to for your the next move for your for your football, your soccer. Yeah, things changed very very quickly for me at the end of OIU. Um, I was I was lucky enough to be invited to the USL Combine. So not quite the, the MLS level, but um, the, the next division, which at the time was nowhere near as funded as it is now. It was a, it was a professional league, but almost like a, a semi-professional setup at the time needed quite a bit of work. But uh, I'd set my sights at that point um, to, to, again, give it my best go. If I can get into this thing, I've got two days. I've got the entire league's worth of coaches in front of me. I'm going to give it everything I can. I'm going to kind of break my back run myself into the ground just to, to try and open up uh, an opportunity. I did that in the, uh, I think it was the end of January, that was, in uh, Bradenton in Florida, the uh, the IMG Academy. Um, and on <clears throat> during the, the combine, you play three games in two days and you have a training session. So there are four sessions over two days. It's it's the most intense thing you'll ever do. It's crazy. But um, during the, the time there, had a coach approach me from a team at the time called Las Vegas Mobsters. They're now known as the Las Vegas Lights. Um, they were a PDL team at the time, so I, I kind of said no to that. I was, I was doing the PDL thing. Um, Sid Van Drunen, who was the coach of Dayton Dutch Lions, the USL team, approached me and um, said they would be in touch. And then um, Kitsap Humors as well had made an approach uh, just after the combine that was the um it's kind of the monday morning in college i had a phone call and they said oh we we saw uh saw some highlights we watched one of your games we really like you would you want to come 
Um, so I went between kind of Dayton and Kitsap. The Dayton offer was the most um, was the most attractive one at first. Uh, they put a contract on the table that I'd had a look at. Um, I'd had some time to think about it. Went back to them after a couple of days and said, "Yeah, I like this, but I'd like." Um, the living situation was a slight issue. I'd asked the question, and in the time it had taken me to do that, they'd signed another player from Brazil. So I uh, lost that opportunity, and the decision was really made at that point. So off to Kitsap I went. Everything was signed, everything was done, and then uh, they wanted me to report to pre-season. I think it was two weeks before graduation, which for me was it was a no-brainer. It was, yeah, I'll be on my way. That's... <clears throat> oh. uh, uh... You're going 100 miles an hour, Craig. And you've opened a lot of doors for yourself. But yeah, of course, uh, when when an opportunity presents itself, you you, you go for it. Uh, and yeah, mail mail me my diploma, please. Uh, obviously, that's. Uh, I hope it's hanging uh, framed on on the wall in your in your flat because uh, it's still. It is a moment that's uh, you know of achievement to to get that document and. Yeah, you might not wear the cap and gown, but uh, yeah, you were on, on a flight to to, to Kitsap Pumas. Uh, yeah, extra on the uh, diploma itself, one that might make people laugh. Actually, if anyone's seen The Simpsons, you all know Ned Flanders. Yeah. The um the character in Ned Flanders is based off a professor at ORU, and if you look on the wall in his house in the show, the uh, college diploma is from Oral Roberts. Okay. So I can <laughs> up one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun fact. <clears throat> Everybody's going to be Googling that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just to um, get people understanding uh, of USL, and, and, and as you said, it was um, sort of a low funded league back then. But, but since they've had players like Joe Cole, uh, Didier Drogba, uh, Raul in New York Cosmos. I think Joe Cole was in Tampa Bay Rowdies, and Didier Drogba was in, um, keep forgetting his team but he he bought a team um somewhere in the US but but obviously the USL has become a, a much much bigger league and and has gotten a lot more funding in the past few years um so that's a huge achievement there uh, just to be on the the USL combine and and, and experience that Craig yeah, I as I say I counted myself very lucky when um when we went through the paperwork and everything to to register for that I was still like well, something's probably going to change something might go wrong I don't feel like this is this is for granted uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying imposter syndrome I was too focused on trying to take the chance more than anything but but yeah when the, when the time came and I was there I was, I was playing with guys who who uh, would go on to play in the MLS uh, guys who played for the best colleges in America and maybe not quite made the MLS combine so it was it was it was some good company to be in to be honest and I thought oh, wow if uh, if I can put my mind to, to sport in college and get to this point in a professional environment over maybe two two and a half years having not been an academy player or anything like that at home then what's possible next how far can I take this So, Craig, obviously you've played a ton of places. You've played, just briefly now, Mexican League in the U.S. You've played in the Welsh League. You've played in Iceland. And then somewhat there comes a call from the coach you had in Iceland to, to bring you over to a team in, in Norway, and you end up at uh, Badixe. Uh Yeah, tell us about that. 
Um, I guess to <clears throat> to try and put a couple of years into a, a very, very short kind of uh, picture for that. Um, a kit tap, I broke my foot. Uh, wasn't able to get fit before the end of the first season. And at that point, it was um, thanks very much, but we can sign someone who is fit and can play. So I left Kitsap at that point. Um, I was going to struggle to uh, to find a new club and to kind of keep my visa alive for the US. Um, I'd moved after I got fit there to, um, to Jacksonville, in Florida. Uh, I was living there for a little while, training with a club that became Jacksonville Armada, playing for their under-23s. And just looking around for, for what was next, to be honest. Um, I happened to, to meet a guy who'd been and uh, trained the kind of like a, a what do you call them? not an agency but almost like a, a representation company called soccer visa and that's where i met joe funicello who's a, a fantastic guy if anyone's kind of looking for the the same path i would definitely say check them out but um i worked with him i went to a couple of their combines trained in front of some scandinavian coaches um got into a conversation with um get the guy's name now apologize on that but um one thing leads to another um on the beach in uh, jacksonville 35 degree heat with a tank top on lovely tan going on and then i get a phone call and say oh um four in iceland would like to have you for a trial and they want you asap so um okay straight back to the apartment start looking for flights and the next thing i know i'm jumping on a plane in orlando to fly to boston to fly to um to uh, Reykjavik and then to Akureyri. Uh, I'm on the ground. It's the I think it was the end of May. It's minus one. There's snow on the ground and it's absolutely freezing. And I'm in a t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as, the moment as you the Brit would the plane, yeah. there. Yeah. Sorry. We, um, as as, as you know, well, we've had some. You know, Brits aren't known for you know having the best winter gear. I would say. We also, you can also <laughs> transfer to. We've had some coaches from Florida coming to Norway in the winter to recruit, and they come in sneakers and, you know, just a, like a soccer coach jacket yep. that could work in in a <laughs> when it's a bit chilly in in November in Florida, but it doesn't work in minus ten to minus fifteen <laughs> degrees uh, recruiting in in February in in any Scandinavian country. So uh, you know, I, 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 I can see English that phenomenon. There's always a coach on an English bench everywhere you look with a pair of shorts on, yeah. no matter what the year it is or what the weather is. Uh, Morten Horshocker, who's the um, kind of the, the team manager below the coach at Bergsoy, is that guy in Norway. He wore shorts everywhere we went. And we played probably minus 10. We played kind of like in ice storms and things like that. And Morten's sitting there in his shorts, just like, yeah, it's no problem. I'll just tell you, my, my coach in New Hampshire, he was a Brit. Rob Wright, shout out to you. Uh, he always wears shorts. There was just like, there was, <laughs> yeah, never any doubt. And that was up in New Hampshire, which gets cold in November. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're there in your T-shirt. Uh, at this time, were you trying to find the coach that's picking you up? Or uh, was that smoother Thankfully, this time? They were, they were a little bit more organized <laughs> this time. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, I jump in, jump in a car with, I think the, the owner of the club was there and then the manager. Uh, we had a little chat in uh, a restaurant about how things would go. Um, I think the transfer window was almost closed, the registration window was almost closed. So I had two sessions with Thor to, uh, to kind of show what I could do. Um, the first session was 
it was somewhere around 12 or 14 hours after I got off the plane. I've been traveling for about 24 hours by the time I touched uh, touch ground in Akureyri. So um, went into those two sessions and tried to do everything I could to uh, to convince them. But unfortunately, four didn't work out for me. Um, wasn't quite off the level over those two days, which hands up, no problem at all. Um, but they they said to me, look, we, we like what's happened. We've seen something in you, so we want to send you to another club in Iceland. They gave me um, kind of the contacts of um, Peddy Christiansen, who was the manager of uh, Dalvik at the time. He gave me a call and said, this is how things are here. If you want to come down and play, no problem. So I talked to him, went down, did a little training session and then signed on the day. So, so that was the next step for me. Unbelievable how you just packed up your bags from Jacksonville and just went to Iceland and yeah, I'll give that a go. And then, I mean, you end up in Bergsø because of your coach in, in Iceland and he, he brings you to Bergsø. And that, this is on the West Coast in Norway in a small, small place. It's it's uh, it's probably like, how, how long from Molde? Molde is the city where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for all the... I mean, yeah, yeah. he's not a hero of yours, but most most people know who he is. Uh, <laughs> and he's, uh, you know, maybe a couple hours? Two, two, I think three it's hours? about three, three and a three half hours. hours yeah. So, uh, but it, it's the most scenic, beautiful, uh, picturesque area you can imagine. And you, you you end up spending close to three years in, in Badigsoy, uh playing, and, and you're also working for the club, the academy, and... Um, it, it was such a challenge for you to kind of just do that and uh, that you actually ended up staying there that long. I'm, I'm impressed by that. Uh, you must have been taken well care of and, and integrated well. I mean, we know your Norwegian is good now, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Bergsoy, to be honest. Um, another blessing in disguise. Um, I'd gone back to the UK after Iceland. I was um, at time for, I think, Warrington Town team I've played for before, um, all geared up for the season. I think I played one pre-season game and then my phone went and uh, Peddy called me up and he said, oh, we have a club in Norway who uh, who want to sign you. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, did the, kind of the same thing as Kansas. I said, yeah, I'm going to go. And then put the phone down. I was like, okay, where am I going? <laughs> didn't do the homework, didn't have a look. I was like, you know what? This It feels right. It feels good. I'm going. Called Warrington and said, look, sorry, guys, but um, I'm going to bounce on. And thankfully, the, the coach there was someone I'd known uh, growing up through football as well. And he said, look, it's, it's a great opportunity. You need to take it. So go. No problem. So I, um, I jump on a plane and then a bus and then probably a horse, a canoe, another bus, a ferry, and then a taxi. And finally get to a little island called Fosnavog. Or a little town called Fosnavog, I should say. Yeah, unbelievable. Because, yeah. uh, you know, you're talking about Kansas, Concordia, Kansas being a small place. I mean, this is also a small place, but it's it's not flat. There's no fields. This is, uh, you know, in, in the in the fjords. It's um, mountains. It's it's uh, steep uh, hills. It's it's the opposite of a, of a flat Kansas. Uh, yeah. But still, it's a small place. But again, you you you're taken care of. You you integrate. You meet great people, and it kind of brings me back to that. There's a Norway 20 minutes outside of Kans, uh, outside of uh, Concordia and Cloud County Community College, 
So th there must be some something there, Craig. Something. Uh, something. Uh, you're talking <laughs> about the blessing from the skies. There, there, I think there must be some sort of link. Those themes seem to run through my life at the moment, so I'm, uh, I'm afraid to look around and kind of look at any signs that might be might be guiding me one way or another. Yeah. But um, but as I say, with with Bergsoy, it was a, a very community centered club. Um, the the people of the town, their kids would play for the club. So being in the academy, you would know um, pretty much everyone in the town. Everybody went to the same places if they were say going out on a Saturday night or or going shopping in the week. So you. You got to know everyone really, really quickly, and I, I was accepted from the first minute. I was looked after as a, almost like a, I don't know, like a, a guest of the town is how I felt. Um, the club, club itself at the time when I joined, were quite ambitious as well. It was a good project, and again, it was it was everything I needed to 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 throw myself at it. To be honest, but everything here to train, everything to to get myself in the best condition to to perform for the club and really, really push to try and achieve something for this, this community. Yeah. And you, you were an integral part of probably the, the proudest moment in that club's history. Maybe, maybe that's taken it too far, but <laughs> might, I think it's gotta be up there. It's gotta be up there. No doubt. I think so. In the, in the past, they've had a couple of successful teams that they talked about while I was there. Um, and there's, I had a, a couple of probably late night conversations with some of the guys who were full time players there, particularly the the leadership there. There's a there's an atmosphere and energy about Bergsoy that is it's it's hard to describe in words. It's a feeling that you get when you're there. And like this is this is something bigger than it maybe presents itself as. To say that there was a budget, there was there was attraction from from investors to go in there. They built a fantastic stadium for the community and and they had the the grounds to to really do something, to, to achieve something big. And I found myself um, in this team that was that was basically tasked with, with delivering something like this. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to push through to the, the second division, which was the goal at the time. But the uh, the cup game, yeah, unbelievable. Um, to, to put that in a phrase, it was what I went into football to, to feel and then to achieve. I, I got everything that I... I'd been grinding for and, and working for on that day. Was this is uh, you know Bergsoy versus Ålesund, which is a Norwegian Premier League team about an hour away. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's uh, David versus Goliath, uh, and you. Uh, it's a tight game. They, they're up one nothing at uh, you know ha at halftime. Then fairly late in the game, there's an equalizer. I think in the maybe seventy-six minute. Equalizer and then, and lo and behold, you get a free kick and uh, David Beckham from of Cloud County Community College of, <laughs> or Roberts uh, of Liverpool uh, is <clears throat> stepping up to take that uh, and and it's an absolute screamer uh, and it gets a lot of attention in in national media, of course, and you know you beat them, you they're, they're knocked out of the Norwegian uh, national tournaments or the FA Cup uh, makes makes big headlines must have been euphoric to, to be in that situation it was it was absolutely insane to be honest there uh, the game itself when we started we were we were under the cosh from the first minute they were throwing everything at us and we were 10 men behind the ball kind of Mourinho ball trying to survive um, their first goal came from a player called Junaid Mead who played for Arsenal um, 
he scored, I think it was about 25, 30 minutes into the game. And at that point, it was like, OK, we just we need to survive here. So let's just let's do what we can. Um, we got through to half-time 1-0, felt we still had the chance. But there was, there was again, like the an atmosphere or something about the game whereby if we can hold it at 1-0, we'd scored a lot of goals with corners in the league. We were good with set pieces. Um, we we might get a chance here, so let's just let's do what we can. Um, second half was a very, very strange half of football. We, we grew into the game as if we were another Premier League team playing Olsen. Uh, we have players who do play that higher level. Um, Franjo played for Croatia's under-21s. He was our big number nine. Um, Pius, who was a midfielder, played for uh, Lithuania's youth teams throughout the ages. We had a couple of other guys who played higher in Norway too. So we we began to kind of take the game to Olesund. Um the, the energy of their team had changed. Uh, Bjorn Helgerisa, who was uh, Jon Arnerisa's brother, was playing in the game. Um, and seeing him argue with one of their centre-backs we kind of really going at each other was was a moment where like okay we we've got these guys rattled um we had maybe a thousand fans in the stands who were singing songs and getting louder and louder and there's drums banging and all that kind of thing and it's it's building towards something um we get a, a wide free kick on um let's say around 70 minutes i think it was um i put that into the box franio flicks it on something we've done in league games time and time before and he scores and when that goal goes in the whole game flips on its head and suddenly we're the energy's pulsing through us we're we're playing through Olison, we're passing around them we're with a better team on the uh, in the last sort of 15 minutes um the the free kick opportunity comes maybe five minutes from time uh we're we're maybe 40 yards out and it's a, a wide free kick so it's more of a, a crossing position again something we've worked on a lot in training we've been successful with in the league um, I should interject here as well. I've had a free kick in exactly the same position for Cloud in a conference final and hit the crossbar. Um, I've seen the video of that since, and it's it's really strange, the position and kind of the, the placement. But, um, yeah, we'd lost that game 2-1, hit the bar last minute, and the whistle goes. But here I am in this position, and I, I look I look at the, the group of players to kind of choose where I'm going to put this ball, and I look at the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper's a good maybe five or six yards off his line expecting a cross, and he's too far to his far post. So in the back of my head, I go, I'm hitting this. And I, I kind of, I didn't think any more on it. The whistle went. I, I didn't look again. I just hit it. So I hit, um, hit the ball towards the goal, and I'd gone for the near post. And as soon as I hit it with my foot, I thought, that's in. That's flying in. I have a look. The keeper scrambles. There's a good picture of him somewhere at full stretch and the ball's just gone over his fingertips, touched the bottom of the crossbar and gone into the goal. And at that point, I, I couldn't have told you my own name. There's probably a minute or two of my life that's missing at that point. All, all kinds of things are going on and I've, I've got guys on top of me and on my shoulders and there's a, a stadium of fans celebrating this goal that Berksoy had beaten Olison, which maybe a thousand to one chance before the game. Um, we go into what was seven minutes of extra time, which feels like an entire career's worth of football all on one day. Uh, the final whistle finally goes, and there's just this this outpouring of emotion, like, look, look what we did, look what we've achieved, this, this little community on the side of a mountain in a, a small island in Norway have gone and beaten a Premier League team. 
I actually have the free kick up here, so we're gonna try and get that. Um, here you can see Kim as well. Here we're gonna try and get that uh, posted uh, on our social media account when we when we put this one put this one out. But it's uh, yeah, it's quite a free kick. Phenomenal. I love the story, but it, it's this this moment. I think there's so much more into the. You put so much heart and soul into becoming a footballer. Just going places and saying yes to things and trying things and this is a massive reward for that uh so it's more than just a goal it's, it's more when you hear your whole story it's okay you know this is like kind of a peak moment uh, that you'll never forget uh along with singing mash canada with all their brazilian and irish and british friends and americans on campus in kansas or going to some of these chapels in listening to inspirational speakers in, in Tulsa and in, in Oklahoma, um, you know, going to Iceland, just taking a chance. I, I think it's fantastic, inspiring. Um, but then you, you ended up actually spending close to three years in, in Norway, and then, then it was time to, uh, you, you went back to England and, you know, work life, and you, you're in recruiting. Uh, you, you kind of fell into recruiting using your psychology and, and uh, making sure you can find good fits for, for companies, good people? Yeah, it's uh, probably not the, the most linear path afterwards or the, the kind of next steps, but um, it's it's unfortunate the way things ended with Berg, so it, it kind of tailed off towards the end in terms of the project for the club. Um, some of the funding had dropped, which was kind of out of the control of the people there, and we... Um, yeah, just it didn't move, it wasn't viable anymore to, to stay there any longer. So I left, um, spent some time kind of training, looking for the next thing in the UK. Went to train with uh, Berry FC for a few weeks, but that was as they were um, on their way down. Um, for those who don't know, the club has, um, I'm not sure if they've liquidated, but they, they weren't able to play anymore. And then um, the club has gone through all sorts of legal things and won't be a club anymore. At that point, I'd kind of seen that happen at Berkshire and then at Berry in a short space of time. So I mentally, I, I needed a break. I'd played kind of nonstop football, uh, at least trained and, and kind of been chasing all those things for so long that it was it was time to to take some time away. So I, I went traveling for a couple of months, um, went to the US or a couple of guys I played with, uh, went to Ireland, some of the guys from Cloud went to a concert of um, the music we used to listen to kind of 11 years before, which was fantastic moments. And then I came back to the UK, um, realized I'm, I'm still in love with football. That will never, ever change. It's, it's my passion. So I um, decided that I would continue to play part-time and focus on the next thing. Um, I had a, a kind of an interest in business. When I was growing up, my mum had worked for a couple of big companies. And we'd always have kind of conversations about how her day had been or how, how things would work in places like this. So I thought, okay, so maybe it's time to, to explore this. Um, I thought I could do two years in university, come out with a piece of paper, maybe 10 grand's worth of debt, and then try and start there. Or I could just throw myself in this as I'd done with everything else and kind of learn while the engine's running. Um, I approached a couple of companies, went for a couple of interviews, and then um, Shortlist, who I'm working with now, as a, they have an athletic core. The, the boss there is a, an ultra marathon runner. Everybody who works there has some sort of sport. They're either footballers or they're runners or they're, um, they're weightlifting athletes or something like that. So that, that kind of sold me on that. 
and I decided to, to go in head first. Um, we started on the UK side of things, did the training there, was about to kind of graduate into being a full-time consultant, and then COVID happens. Um, I get furloughed, I think I'm going to lose my job. Um, football stops as well, I'm playing for Airbus in the Welsh Premier League at that time. So everything kind of hits a, a, a standstill at that point, and then there's some weeks where Nobody really knows what's going on. The, the COVID situation, of course, different for everyone, but we're all in the same. We have no idea what to do or how to, to make this work. Um, three weeks into to being furloughed, um, I'll be honest, I'm pretty close to my head falling off. I'm not someone who likes to stay at home for a long time. Like we, we, out, figured, like be, we figured. We <laughs> figured. Like to be out, like to be around people, um, you know, making experience in life in, in no uncertain terms. Um, I get a phone call from my boss and we start talking about if it's possible to set up a business in the US. Now we've got no kind of background, we've got no, um, no list of contacts, we've got no, we're starting from zero with this and he basically says to me, do you want to do this? The two things happened when he said that. The first one in the back of my mind was how the blank am I going to do this? And the second one went, yeah, exactly, this is what I need. So I said, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, so April last year, I walked through the door at the office to sit down to a blank spreadsheet and basically a, a database, start from zero, and uh, a year and a half in. I, um, I'm always hesitant to say this bit, but I'm, I'm the director of US recruitment at Shortlist, so yeah. I think you yeah. should not be, uh, not be ashamed of saying <laughs> that, or being proud saying it. Uh, you, you, you go for it and you, you've earned that. Yep. That's well deserved. Yeah. It's interesting this drive in you. Uh, it's a really strong drive to, to go for things and experience things. And do, do you think that this became stronger as you went to the US? Is that the mindset that was kind of more instilled in you there? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up, as uh, I did allude to a little bit before with the psychology thing, um, th there were uh, things that I had to overcome in family life, but uh, both my parents, my mum and my dad had always kind of personified working hard for things that you want. I'd always been told to um, to give everything. If I wanted something, I genuinely wanted something, don't put 50% in because it's just not going to work. Like if, if you're going, then go and go for that one thing only. Um, when I went to the US, I'd gone as, um, say, as an 18-year-old with not much life experience, kind of done the, the local thing here, maybe played a little bit of football. But um, at that point, you you are basically on your own. Um, obviously, the dorms and things like that are um, they're taken care of, so you're not maybe paying bills at that point, but you still have maybe the extras on top of your scholarship to pay. But then you control your entire life, your diet, uh, how you spend your time, your studying, um, training, all those things are now things that you have complete autonomy over. Um, so yeah, that experience, it, it turned me into kind of the person I am today. That experience really was the, the one where it was, okay, all these things are in your control. What are you going to do with them? How are you going to maximize all these things that you have? It's great advice uh, yeah. to, to, to others out there that maybe have gone through their college journey and not sure what they want to do or, or others that might be at the start of thinking about hey maybe the US route is is uh, the way to go um, but I think you've uh, 
you've opened up a lot of uh, people's minds about the opportunities that can open up and the doors that are uh, opening if you just go for it. Yeah. Um, just the say the word the yes. Yeah, say the word yes. The person you speak to, <coughs> hey, it might turn into something great. So yeah. why not speak to more people? Yeah. You know, and 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 try things. Um, fantastic to 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 listen to. Absolutely, I would say um, there's a quote. It's a it's a Winston Churchill quote. I'm not a huge kind of history person, but um, it goes something along the lines of if you think about this, if you can't go a day without thinking about something. Then you should never give up on it. Um, it's it's words to that effect. But if if there is something kind of inside, and it can be a curiosity, it doesn't even need to be a passion. If it's something that you want to go for and you want to experience, then do something every day to get closer to that. Do something that's gonna that's gonna bring you closer. Do study, go and talk to someone, go and do some um, I don't know some research to maybe meet someone or something, or just move in that direction. Try and try and do something to, to put yourself in a position where you can you can walk through a door when it's presented. And uh, I guess the the life that, that I've lived up to now is testament that if you're willing to do that and do that to to the nth degree, then that opportunity will present itself at some point. And once once you're there, once you've you've been through the grind, once you've been through the the, the sleeping in bus stops and airports and the, the traveling all over the world on your, your last dollar, you'll be ready. So you, you will walk through the door. I couldn't have said anything better nope. to end this podcast episode. Craig, yes. it's been uh, fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And, you know, you met Stu, obviously had a coffee with him uh, when you were in, in, in Oslo and uh, talked about football and uh, we still keep in touch. And it's, uh, f- from our pers- perspective, keep doing this. And we, we're, we're paying attention. We helped you back in 2009 and played a little bit of a part in this, but this is, this is all you. And we're inspired to see, to see how this journey is unfolding still. Well, with, without Stuart and you guys and the work that you do, it, it probably wouldn't have been possible. I, I couldn't have uh, reached out to, to U.S. universities by myself at the time. Certainly could have made a, a scholarship happen. Um, so I think that's that part, at least in that moment, that turns all uh, turns that part of my life around and, and opens all this possibility. Is uh, it's testament to the work that you guys do at CSUSA. I mean. Uh, you're not you're not selling athletic kind of experiences. You're not selling academic experiences. For me, you're selling on your working and facilitating transitional periods in people's lives. And I, I really don't think there's anything more rewarding. Oh, we love what we do, and yep. I appreciate the kind words, Craig. Yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure.